Hey, welcome everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana. Man, today is a great day for you to be with us because as you already heard, we're starting a brand new series. It's gonna be five weeks entitled The Last King. But before we get into today's conversation, hey, I just wanna thank you as a church for being for others. Now listen, when I started pastoring this church 28 years ago, it's just hard to believe it's been 28 years, but um, I was even doing some reflecting on that this week going, wow, 28 years, a lot has happened in 28 years. But there was one thing that we were very clear on when I started pastoring. We had a lot of things to figure out, but one thing we were really clear about, and that is we wanted to be a church that was known for loving each other well and loving our communities well. I mean, we wanted everybody to know that God loves them and that God wants a relationship with them. And we, we absolutely believed, because, I, because of the past that I had, the background I grew up in, I, I just really wanted to make sure that everybody knew that God was for them. Because there were so many people in my dad's family that had no clue that God was for them. And they, they thought God was angry at them. They thought God wanted to punish them. And so we want to make sure everybody knew that God was for them and they had an opportunity to follow him. Because here's the thing that we know, following Jesus will make your life better and it will make you so much better at life. And that's why I'm so passionate as a pastor and my passion just keeps growing to help you understand and experience the transform, transforming power of really following Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so... Um, we want everybody in our community to understand that as well, um, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So if you're new around here and you're always kind of think like, like been thinking the last week or two, month or two, like what is all this for conversation about? Here's what it's about. There are over 75,000 unchurched people in our counties that are three churches impact and when we launch the Wakulla campus in January, um, there will be over a hundred and something thousand people that are unchurched in the areas that all of our churches are impacting. And the only way that they're going to know that God is for them is if we as a church, we follow Jesus so well that we can meet people where they are, show them that we love them, and help them discover that God loves them. And I just feel like that we're just getting our feet on the ground on this, that we're just getting started with how God is going to use us to do that because there's so many things that you're having impact in. I, I sat in Atlanta on Wednesday um, on, the, on the elder team. I'm part of Gerald's elder team. And so we had our uh, meeting in person this time. So it was a whole day meeting with Gerald helping coach him. And, and I'm telling you guys, the investment that you have made in Gerald is making a tremendous difference in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you're making a huge difference in, in uh, Fairhope. This, this weekend they had a special event and um, Brian was texting me saying, listen, this person got saved. This person got saved. They're doing four baptisms from the special event that they did on Friday. I mean, you guys are making a huge impact in our communities. And I just want you to understand, um, man, because you're just, I mean, it's like, because you're just investing in, in your, our communities, you're investing in other communities. I, I just believe God's going to keep showing up and doing so many things. And, and many of you, you're just starting to live this four mindset out that I am for others. And that means I'm for everyone all the time. In fact, together, all of our campuses, you did that two weeks ago by giving to our $4 for others, uh, giving that we did, um, just being generous to our communities. In fact, what happened is if you weren't here two weeks ago, we invited all of you to give $4 two weeks ago to help our schools and our communities with supplies and resources. And here's the result of that. Chipley, you gave $473 to Kate Smith Elementary School. Bluntstown, you gave $1,160.80 to Bluntstown Elementary School. And Mariana, you gave $2,000. Let me just say something because I'm trying not to get emotional about this, but um, I love our staff. 
most of the time, you don't even know who's on our staff. But one of the things about our staff is we have this value to take it personally, to own the mission outside your job description and own the mission outside of what you get paid to do. And one of our staff on the Mariana campus said, $1,700, we can't give less than $1,000 to a school. And that staff member wrote a check for $300 to make it $2,000. I, I just want, yeah. Um, I just want you to understand, um, most of the time, staff in a church are kind of like politicians. They don't get recognized until they do something bad, right? <laughs> or until something doesn't go right. Um, but I, I just telling you, they work so hard behind the scenes. And um, once again, I just, um, I, don't, I don't say enough about how good our staff is and, and helping to serve you guys, because that's really their heart, just to be servants and to sacrifice and be the model for that. Um, but uh, anyhow, so a thousand, back up just a second, I'm sorry. A thousand of that went to Hope School and a thousand of that went to Jackson County Alternative School. And here are some of the pictures of them delivering those. So can we just go ahead and celebrate that at all of our campuses? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, um, here's the thing. I know that we have more schools in each community and uh, we're gonna circle back around on another month and, and we're gonna hit some more of those schools and because, I mean, all of our, all of our um, community schools, they, they, could, they could use the help and the resources. So we'll circle back around on that. But man, so just say thanks again to you as a church because as followers of Jesus, this is what I believe with all my heart, we should be known for our no strings attached love and generosity because that's what our leader, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is known for. And if we follow him, I mean, that's what it's all about. So I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and grab those talk notes out of your worship guides and let's dive into today's conversation by looking at what does it really mean to follow Jesus? Because see, whenever we talk about Jesus and, and what he's known for, in fact, if you grew up in a church and you, and you talk about Jesus, what he's known for, you most likely heard some terms that are often used in the New Testament to describe who Jesus is, um, terms like savior, forgiver, and friend. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we, we really like to think of Jesus in these terms, don't we? Like, I love thinking about Jesus, my savior, my forgiver, and my friend. I mean, it's very comforting to understand Jesus as savior, forgiver, and friend as we think about our relationship with him. However, there are a few other terms also that are used to describe Jesus, terms like this Messiah, Christ, and Lord. And whenever you think about these terms, they're not as easily understood when we think about our relationship with Jesus. How does that work in our relationship with Jesus? Especially when you hear the terms like Christ Jesus and Lord Jesus and Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, well, what does all that mean? And by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Just saying now. So, so let me just kind of simplify all of this for you. Basically, when we talk about Jesus... Jesus is referring to his humanity, where Christ and Lord and Messiah, they are referring to Jesus' deity, his, his position as God, as King, as Lord. In fact, in the New Testament, or the word Christ is, trans, is a transliteration from the Greek word in the Hebrew, meaning which is Messiah, meaning anointed one or king. So you could say it this way, that Christ is God's, is, the definition is Christ is God's anointed one. He is our king. 
And so while it's true and important to understand that Jesus is our savior and our forgiver and our friend, it's just as important and it's just as true, just as true to understand Jesus as our Messiah, our Christ, and our Lord. In other words, whenever we recognize Jesus as Messiah, Christ, and Lord, basically what we're doing is we're acknowledging Jesus as King. And most of us, we don't get up every morning understanding that Jesus is my king. But here's the thing that happens. When you begin to acknowledge Jesus as king, it requires something more from you. It requires something different from us than when we just say, I believe in Jesus. I mean, even James says, the devils, they they believe, the devil and the demons, they believe and they tremble. So believing is no better than what? The devil and the demons do it if you want to kind of boil it down that way. See, it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to make the commitment to surrender and submit and follow someone. I mean, while Satan, he believed there's a God, he knows there's a God, he, he wasn't willing to submit and surrender. So it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to surrender and submit and follow someone. And I'm telling you, this, this is so essential to recognize in, in this culture because I think one of the things what we've done is we have made Christianity so passive and we feel like, well, I can just show up in an environment and somehow or another um, it's just going to kind of morph into me and my life is going to change. But it's not going to change if you just believe. It's essential to recognize because many of us who call ourselves Christians, we've basically reduced our relationship with Jesus to just believing in something. We've forgotten what it really means to follow. You see, Jesus' invitation was never simply to believe in me. That was never his invitation. His invitation was, I want you to follow me. See, this is why the New Testament writers, whenever they referred to Jesus, they referred to Jesus as Savior 157 times, but they referred to him as Lord or King 700 times. Because they understood two things that are very important for all of us to understand. The first one is this. Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. He came to turn the world upside down. And we're going to discover what that looks like. Not only with what Jesus said, but what it means for our lives over these next five weeks. And then the other thing they understood was this. Is we get to choose whether we follow Jesus or while we get to choose whether we follow Jesus, we don't get to choose how we follow Jesus. In fact, if you were with us a couple months ago when I did the polarizing series, we, we shared with you that the earlier followers of Jesus, they took this idea of Jesus as king. They, they took it so seriously that they were unwilling to give their allegiance to Caesar or Nero or Herod. In fact, that was why we told you that the Roman Empire, they were so suspicious of Christians because they weren't suspicious because of what they believed Roman, Roman government, they didn't really care that people believed in a God because the Romans, they believed in many gods. Rome had a problem with any group of people that wouldn't declare that Caesar was Lord or Caesar was king. And so these first century Christians, they shifted their allegiance from following an earthly king to saying, our allegiance is to Jesus as our king. That's the shift that they made. See, this is why many of the first century Christ followers um, we're called Christians in contrast to Herodians or Nerodians. 
And it's probably one of the primary reasons why they were persecuted. Because they said, Jesus is my king and my first allegiance is to Jesus. But over time, what began to happen is Christians began to drift away from the idea that a relationship with Jesus is more than just believing in him. They, they forgot something. They forgot that salvation is free. It costs me nothing. But following Jesus will cost me something. See, scripture is very clear that salvation is free. In other words, there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can earn a relationship with God. Forgiveness and the opportunity to be part of God's family is by grace through faith alone in Jesus. But once you choose to follow Jesus, because he is our Messiah, because he is our Christ, because he is our Lord, because he is our King, there is a price to pay. It's not easy to follow. At times, it's even a struggle. Life won't always go the way that we wish it would go when we start following Jesus. And we're going to look at some stories from that of Jesus' life and his ministry that I think will encourage you and strengthen you. I mean, there are things that God calls us to do that are hard. There are sacrifices that God asks us to make that we don't want to make. There are prayers that we pray that don't get answered. And then... God starts digging around in our life when we start following him and he starts convicting us to obey him in areas that we would rather for him to stay out of. In other words, I don't want to handle my money the way that God wants me to handle my money or I don't want to handle my sexuality or morality the way God wants me to handle or I don't want to handle my marriage or parenting the way that God wants me to and I sure don't want to love my enemies and do good to those that I disagree with or dislike. I don't want to love them and bless them. I don't want to pray for them, right? So God, you just stay out of that part. Isn't that how we do? Or for some of us, it's like, I enjoy my gossiping way too much to let God get into that part of my life. And I enjoy my selfishness and consumer mindset way too much to let God get in that part of my life and tell me I need to be a servant to others. But here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, or if you're even considering becoming a follower, we all know that's the dilemma, isn't it? I would love to have a relationship with God. I want to be forgiven, and I want to be God's friend. I definitely want to spend eternity in heaven. I mean, that's so much better than the alternative, but I don't want to pay the price, and I don't want to make the sacrifice that is required to follow Jesus. So the truth is, salvation is free, it costs me nothing, but following Jesus will cost me something. As we're going to see through this series, it'll cost you everything. Now, one, one, of this is, one of the reasons this is such a struggle for most of us is one of the central elements that all religions have in common is that they're based on, and all religions require the acceptance of a particular belief system. And you go, what is a belief system? Well, a belief system is a set of principles and tenets about what is right and wrong and what is true and false. And here's the thing. We all have a belief system. We, we all have this set of principles, whether you sat down and wrote them out, you've, you've developed them in your head, whether you're conscious of them or not, you have all these principles and attendance about what is right or wrong, you're very opinionated about them, everybody knows what your belief system is, whether you do or not, and you also are very opinionated about what tr is true or false, right? 
So we all have them and we love them. You know why we love our belief systems? Because our belief systems allow us to remain in control of our lives at all time. Now, now I bring this up because when most people, they think about Christianity, we view Christianity as a belief system. I mean, to most of us, Christianity is this set of rules, it's this do's and don'ts, it's about right and wrong that I choose to adopt because they align with my preferred way of thinking and living. But if there's a problem at any point that I decide to live in a way that doesn't align with my belief systems, then guess what? I just change or I alter my belief system to match up with the behavior that I want to have. That's why we love belief systems because if there's ever this tension between what I believe and how I behave, to relieve that tension, I just create this loophole to justify my actions and then I change and sometimes I'll even alter my belief system to match my lifestyle. It's why people who one time said, I believe in Jesus and the Bible because they wanna live a certain lifestyle, they go, I don't even know if I believe there's a God anymore. But when I hear someone say that, I'm like, okay, what are you wanting to do that God says you can't do or is not wise to do? I mean, think about it from this perspective. How was the idea of Christianity or having a relationship with Jesus, how was that presented to you? I mean, probably somebody or someone came along and they said, hey, here's some things that you need to believe in. And most likely it was something like, here are some facts. You need to believe these. And then if you believe in these, then you're gonna be good. The, the only problem with that is Jesus never promoted, Jesus never introduced that approach when it came to following him. In fact, whenever you read the accounts of his life that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you don't find one instance where Jesus laid out a belief system and then he looked at his crowd that he was teaching and said, hey, do you believe that? Well, if you accept that, then you're okay, you're good, you're all in. No, Jesus gave a very different kind of invitation. It was not an invitation to a belief system. His invitation was simply follow me. Now, now here's the thing. We know what it means to believe, but what does it mean to follow? And that's what we're gonna be talking about for the next few weeks. So today what I wanna do is I wanna start with a story that demonstrates what following looks like. Now, we have two versions of this story in the New Testament. And what's interesting about these stories is one of them sounds so intimidating and unrealistic that it leaves us thinking, man, that's just crazy. Who in the world would ever do that? The other story, it fills in the gaps better and it helps us understanding what, following Jesus actually means and what that process looks like. So I'm gonna read the first one that looks or that would feel intimidating at first, and it's the way that many of us have had faith and following Jesus basically presented to us. Notice this, we find this in Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and they followed him. And you go, what? They really did that? 
I mean, a stranger walks up, they abandon everything, they walk away from their business, and they follow him. What kind of faith is that? What kind of courage is that? I mean, who does that? But the story doesn't end there. Notice verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I mean, end of story. And for some of you that are high on the responsibility scale, I mean, that just sounds irresponsible. Like, who does that? Oh, we're leaving everything, parking it all, and we're going to go follow Jesus. But for many of you, this is how following Jesus has been presented to us over the years. And it just sounds so extreme. And maybe that explains why we as Christians, we opt into a belief system because that feels safer. We have more control about that. But the good news is, this isn't the whole story. Luke, he actually records a version of this story with way more details for those of us with more, who probably would need more information before uh, we walk off the job because some stranger walks up and says, hey, come follow me. Here's what Luke says about the same incident. Luke chapter five. He says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So one of the things you have to understand is with Luke's details, you discover there's a whole lot more going on. Jesus is teaching this large crowd of people on a beach and they're all listening to him. In fact, this is how following Jesus always starts. It always starts with information. In fact, if you're ever part of a faith community or a church and um, their brand of faith or their brand of Christianity refuses to allow you to ask any questions or learn, I mean, you absolutely should run away from that. So Jesus, Jesus always starts by letting people listen and learn. But his crowd is so large that everybody can't hear Jesus, so notice what happens next. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Guess who these fishermen were? Peter and Andrew and James and John. So while they're cleaning their fishing gear after fishing all night, they're also listening to Jesus teach. And this is where Jesus asked for a little bit of help. Notice verse three. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. There's no coincidence in that. You understand that if you know the story of Jesus' ministry with Peter, because that's who Simon is. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Peter, he helps Jesus out. And Jesus teaches and everybody listens. Now notice verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So his first request to Peter was, can I use your boat? His next request is not abandon everything and follow me. No, Jesus asked Peter, don't miss this. Jesus asked Peter to do something he's done a thousand times. But Jesus has asked him to do it in a way that he has never done it before. He wants him to fish in the middle of the day when you would never catch anything because you're fishing with a net and it's at the surface and the fish go deep during the daytime. So Peter is very respectful. And I want you to notice what he says in verse five. Here's what he says. Simon answered, master, don't miss that. Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. 
Literally, Peter's basically saying, Jesus, you know, that, that sermon you gave, it just really, really was interesting and all. That seems to be your strength zone a whole lot more than fishing. <laughs> Not sure you understand this whole fishing thing, but, um, you know, really, that's the whole point that Jesus is making right here, right? Jesus is asking Peter to trust him enough to do something that feels unusual or strange, out of the ordinary. Not abandon his business, but fish when it doesn't make sense. Which is why Peter's response is noteworthy. Notice the last part of verse five. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. But because you say so. Literally, Jesus, I'm not doing this because I think this is gonna work, but I've been listening and I've been listening and I've been listening. And out of curiosity and respect for you, I'm gonna let down these nets. See, this wasn't have about believing something intellectually about Jesus. This is not anything intellectual. This was about trusting Jesus enough that they were willing to move and do something that they wouldn't normally do. Jesus, because you say so. And here's what happens in verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, master in verse five was just a term of respect. Peter is now calling Jesus Lord, which means Messiah, King in that culture. That's really personal. See, that's the beginning of a different kind of relationship between Peter and Jesus. Peter has now come to realize who Jesus is, which prompted a completely different response from Peter. See, when we believe in Jesus, we give Jesus respect. When we see Jesus as Lord, we surrender. But Peter was only willing to do that because he was willing to make the step to trust and follow. In fact, the story continues. Notice verse nine. It says, for he and his, all, all his companions, they were astonished, you think, at the catch of fish they had taken because they had fished all night when you're supposed to fish and didn't catch anything and now they're fishing when you're not supposed to fish and they, they filled up two boats so much they were about to sink. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people, meaning Peter, I've got a purpose for you. I want you to follow me, but I wasn't gonna make the difficult request until you took some smaller steps to trust me first, to understand who I am. But now that your little bitty faith has intersected with my faithfulness and you see that I'm trustworthy, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you to go all in with me. So notice what happens in verse 11. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and they followed him. Now, this account is so helpful because it shows that following Jesus is this step-by-step -step process. So you wanna start taking notes at this point if you've not been writing anything down. Here we go. First of all, we listen and we learn. This is the first step. 
Jesus always starts by inviting us to listen and learn, to, ex to examine the evidence of who he is, of what he says about himself and, and what he says and what he teaches. And maybe some of you at our churches today, you're at this stage. For you, maybe you, somebody gave you a devotional book or they gave you this podcast to listen to on spirituality. Maybe it's time for you to start doing that or maybe begin to read your Bible more often or maybe more regularly listen to teaching at church, show up at church and start going, okay, God, I'm here to listen and learn. And see, following always starts with information. But it doesn't stop there. But for some of you, Jesus is asking you to make the commitment to sit still long enough every day, to sit still long enough every Sunday to listen and learn. So the first step in following Jesus is I study who Jesus is and what he says by listening and learn. And then the second thing he did, if you remember, is he asked Peter to do something else. He asked him to loan him the boat. Now for most guys, that's a huge step of faith. Somebody says, loan me your boat. They're, oh, no, we don't loan out our boat. My dad always told me, son, he said, son, there's two things you don't loan out is guns and boats. <laughs> said, you can loan out anything else, but not a gun or a boat. So this is a pretty big request, right? So, so maybe this is where some of you are. God is asking you to take a step that's gonna be slightly inconvenient for you. Maybe God is saying to some of you, you've been saying, oh, I need to do this engaged thing they always talk about. So God is saying, that's a little inconvenient. You gotta give up a little bit of your Sunday afternoon. So you go to engage. Or for some of you, it's like, oh, I should have signed up for a small group, but I really don't have the time. God said, I understand being part of a small group is inconvenient, but that's your next step in following me. So you can get there and you can grow and by asking questions and having people support you. Maybe for some of you, God's saying, I want you to serve a little bit. I know that's inconvenient, but I want you to start giving some of your time. It's just an hour of your time every Sunday just, just to serve. So the second step in following Jesus is I step into interacting with Jesus. Jesus asked me to do something, and I start doing something that's a little inconvenient. And in this stage, we move from being a spectator to a participator in what Jesus is doing. And then the third stage is where it really starts getting excited. Jesus asked Peter, he says, I want you to take me fishing. Now, a lot of you guys will go, okay, Jesus, I can do that step, right? <laughs> I, but, but here's really what this is. Th this is where you're willing to trust God enough to do something that's unusual in an area of your life. Th this is where he says, I want you to go fishing in the middle of the day. It's that area of your life where God says, hey, you should... You should start prioritizing me in your life with your time and, and giving me part of your day in the mornings. Or you should start prioritizing me in your life by, by giving consistently out of what the wealth that I give you, the resources that I give you. And some of you say, well, well God, I, I've never done that. If I give some of it away, is there gonna be enough? I mean, I know God says to approach um, my relationships, my parenting, my marriage is different than when I'm doing that. I, I've never done that because I didn't think it would work, but I'm gonna try and see what happens. See, this stage is where you're willing to trust God and obey in an area that God is asking you to step out. And you're going, God, this just doesn't make any sense. I, I've never done this before, but because you say so, I will do it. So the third step is I sacrifice what is convenient for me or what makes sense to me. And then finally, Jesus asked Peter, he says, I want you to leave your nets. See, this is when you've built enough of trust in God 
that you're willing to go all in and decide, God, whatever you say, I'll obey God. I, I don't need to understand. I'm just gonna do it because I always know that's whatever's best because I've trusted you in the past. I watched you show up and do amazing things. See, this is where you surrender your life to God. This is where you surrender everything to God. You open up your hands and say, God, I am all yours. So the final stage of following Jesus is this, is I surrender everything and everyone to Jesus. I surrender everything and everyone to Jesus. And here's my question for you. What, what stage are you at? Are, are you at stage one? You're here and you're saying, God, I'm just trying to listen and learn. I'm just studying who Jesus is and what he says and trying to figure out what all this means. Maybe some of you are saying, I'm here, step two. I'm, I'm starting to interact with Jesus. He, he's asking me to use some things in my life and, and I'm making that step. Or maybe it's, okay, I'm at the place where he's asking me to sacrifice what's convenient for me for the benefit of other people. I think for many of you, Jesus is saying, um, it's time for you to surrender everything and everyone. Now, here's the thing. The point of looking at this scale, this progression, is not to grade yourself. It's not to beat yourself up as you're going, oh, I'm here. I wish I was here. I wish I was here. It's not to beat yourself up and say, I'm not far as long as I want to be, and you know, I'm not as good as I want to be in following Jesus. The point is the process. The, the point is, what are you going to do to know Jesus personally? Because here's the thing. If you want to know Jesus more personally, your responsibility is to take the next step when he calls you to take the step. Just take the step. Don't settle for just believing or adopting some belief system. That's way too impersonal. Jesus says, no, I want you to follow me. And I want you to understand something. Following is not rigid. A belief system is rigid. Following isn't impersonal. Is it uncertain? Absolutely, it's uncertain. But I'm telling you, it's very personal. And following is not just intellectual. It's intellectual that always leads to practical application. So the good news for every one of us is this. Jesus will accommodate every one of us to our capacity for trust, and he's gonna move at our speed, but you still have to move. So here's my thing to you, all of our churches. If you just wanna believe something, okay, but don't call that following Jesus. Because see, Jesus didn't give us the option to accept a belief system. No, Jesus' invitation was us, to us was, I want you to follow me. And that means whatever that nudge you feel, that thing that you know you should do or that thing that you know you should change, that is your next step. So here's my question, all of you. Will you take your next step to follow Jesus? The Holy Spirit, I'm sure, prompted you what that next step was as you looked at that list. And here's why making that decision is so important for you. You have no idea of what hangs in the balance. I mean, think about how Peter's life changed because he chose to follow. But for you, part of what hangs in the balance is your decision to follow really does determine how real God becomes to you, how alive your faith will become. So what's the next step? 
when it comes to following? Will you take that step? Man, you don't want to spend your whole life wondering, what, what, what if, what if, what God might have done if I had just said yes to following? So take the step to follow. Because here's the reality. While we get to choose whether we follow Jesus, we don't get to choose how we follow. I'm gonna explain why that's true next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to go on this journey with you. God, I'm just excited to be able to go as a church family and watching you work and the progression you take us on as, as we take the steps to follow. So God, for many of us today, you've prompted us, you've nudged us, and you said, this is your next step. I pray that you help us to make the decision. Today, help us to make the decision, first of all, God, we're abandoning the idea that Christianity is a belief system. And we're understanding that Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship of following you. And every step that we take, we discover new things that we believe that are different than this world. We discover new things that we believe that makes our life better and makes us better at life. But really, what it's about is following you. So God, help us today to take the step. So we never look back and wonder, wonder what it would have been if I'd have loaned Jesus my boat. I wonder what it would have been like if I'd have cast out the net. I wonder what it would have been like if I left everything to follow. God, I pray that you just help us to have the courage and strength to take the step. In Jesus' wonderful name, we say amen to our King. Amen. Hey, you have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.